Hello and welcome to Barisal Alto Podcast, a Catholic podcast for teens by teens. Today we are going to be talking about saints, but before that, you have we have myself, Kateri, Sophia One, and Carolina, and now we are introducing Sophia Two onto our podcast, as well as we have our youth minister and tech person, <laughs> Teresa. <laughs> now, let us begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, amen. Blessed Pierre Giorgio Prasadi, Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So, as I mentioned before, we have a new podcaster on our podcast, Sophia Two. So, Sophia, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, wait, like, what do I, what do I say? Like, what, what kind of things? What do you like to do? Yeah, just session that you're interested in. Hobbies. You're the oldest of how many kids? Okay, um. I'm the oldest of five siblings. I've been to private and public school. And I've known Carolina and Sophia and Kateri my whole life. <laughs> and she's still here. <laughs> what are some things you like to do? Um, I really like to snowboard and I'm part of the church choir and I love to draw and paint. She is the artistic one out of all of us. And Teresa, yes, do you want to talk a little bit about yourself since we never formally introduced you? Well, apparently I'm really good at tech. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a really long, um, but that's $10, right? That's an, every time I say, um, uh, well, it's, I think we decided on five, but okay. it can be 10 for you. Well, I said three times, so it's $15. I'm a mother of three, been married 30 years, been doing youth ministry for over 20, and I still like young people. I've been to seven World Youth Days and many student bill conferences. I love to sing, I like to cook, and I'm finally getting the opportunity to go to Italy after all these years in like three weeks, so I'm very excited for that. All right. So, as mentioned before, we are talking about saints today. So, who wants to start off by talking about what a saint is? A saint is somebody that has lived a holy and virtuous life and has died and is in heaven. So, there's two kind of different sub different categories of a saint. A saint that has been canonized and recognized by the church and then a saint is anyone who ha is in heaven, even if they're not recognized by the church. So there are three different stages to becoming a saint. Well, there's sort of four, but three major ones. The first one that's not really considered a step is being called a servant of God. And that is when the church starts to look into your life 
and um, really do like a background check sort of on your life. The next level, the first step is being called a venerable. And this is when the church is continuing to look into your life, uh, talking to people that knew you or experienced your life. And then you go on to become a blessed. And a blessed, you have to have one miracle in order to become a blessed. And still, church is looking into your life, you know, still going strong. And lastly is sainthood. And sainthood is determined by a second miracle that's done in your name. So... That means that there was someone interceding for that person to heal them or it's mostly healing from the illness and then the person is miraculously healed and then the church further investigates into that miracle to move the person to the next level of sanctity. And just some background, in the first five centuries of the church, we didn't have a big process for canonizing saints. It was just based on the voice of the people and the voice of God. And then around the 6th century until about the 10th or 12th century, there was some priests or bishops. You would The people would say, oh, we want this person to be canonized, and the bishop would look into it. And then if the bishop approved it, and they were considered a saint. And then around the 12th century, they, the bishop had to write a little article about the person as well as talk to people who were in this person's life and um, other and find out more about this person than they originally had. And then in 15 or no, sorry. In 993, it was the first time the Pope had intervened into the canonization process for a saint. And that's kind of how we started to get the papal intervention of that. And from that time until 1917, that's kind of how it went. And in 1917 is when we established a universal code of canon law. And then we got the canonization process for today. So that's just a little brief summary of saints in general. And we're going to go into talking about some of our favorite saints and possibly our our canonization, yeah, our confirmation (laughs) saints. Um, because all of us um, at this table are can- not we are not canonized. <laughs> you, you have to be dead first. This is true. You have all of us are confirmed, and so we all have a confirmation saint. So, depending on which saints we want to talk about, some of us may talk about that or just about our favorite saints. So, who wants to start off? I can start us off. Okay. Um, So the first saint that I kind of want to talk to you guys about today is actually a blessed, so she's technically not a saint. So it's Blessed Karolina of Kosova. So uh, Kosova is a place in Poland. And um, so Blessed Karolina was born just before 
uh, World War One, and she was around the age of 16 or 15 during that time. So um, R- Russia invaded Poland, like her area of Poland during World War One, And so Karolina was 16 and her and her father were taken by a Russian soldier out of their house and brought into the woods where the soldier um, like scared away her father at gunpoint and then tried to force himself upon Karolina. So she would rather die than keep or than lose her purity. So then she fought back and he eventually stabbed her and she was able to get away. And then um, she died shortly after from her wounds. And they found her body 16 days later and they brought her back and they like, kept her remains and they kept it in the tomb and they put a cross by where her tomb would be. So Marie, or sorry, Carolina Prosova is actually called the Marie Goretti of Poland. And she was beatified by Pope John Paul II in 1987 during his visit to Poland. And since then, they've been trying to get her canonized for a little while now. Um, but we'll see how it goes in the future. And that one is significant because Carolina is named Carolina. And this saint is also named Carolina. So wow. It's, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> what a conclusion. <laughs> All right, who wants to go next? Oh, you go because then someone's So my confirmation saint is St. Therese of the Child of Jesus. So I'll be talking about her and her parents, St. Zelie and St. Louis. So St. Zelie and St. Louis were both born into very strong practicing Catholic families. And they were both born in France. And actually, before they got married, they both individually discerned religious life. But that wasn't their calling, and then they ended up getting married. But when they were married, they still practiced the virtue of chastity with each other. So they had, like, separate rooms, and they were married, but they were kind of living in their own life. But then they decided to have children, and it's really sad, but their first four children died a little bit after they were born but they were all baptized. So they're all baby saints in heaven. And then they gave birth to five girls, which all entered into religious life. And their youngest is St. Therese. And it's so beautiful to see that they, their mission as a couple is to bring each other into heaven and their children. And they did that so beautifully, even though they struggled through having four of their children die a little bit after they were born, but they were able all to just give them their love and know that God was calling their four children home right away. And so then they had St. Therese, and she was a very hard little child. She was so just difficult at times. She had temper tantrums. And it was it was really hard. And her sis, when Saint Zelie died of illness when Therese was little, she really looked up to her older sisters as her mothers, and they really took care of her. And every time one of her sisters left for the convent, Therese would just be heartbroken. Like, why are they leaving me? 
my my sisters, my mothers who have taken care of me since I was born are leaving me. And but Saint Therese entered into the convent with her sisters when she was old enough and she lived a very holy and just quiet life and you can actually she wrote a book called Story of a Soul which just talks about her life from when she was born till the time of her death and I've started reading it and I can just really relate to her just how she was a little girl just running around being her normal little self and then you can see how God has worked through her life to become the holy and just humble saint that she became just living in a convent with their sis other sisters and just living the life of Christ and it's so beautiful that she came from two holy parents and really brought that example into her faith life. Is that the first couple to ever be canonized together? I think so. I think I think it is. They were amazing parents. Absolutely. And when you read the story of a soul, don't forget to read the introduction and the foreword because that really makes the story of her life uh, a lot more relevant. Mm -hmm. When my parents named me after her, and then as I grew up, I never understood why my mom and dad would name me after a little flower, because I always thought that she was so docile and very soft-spoken and all that. <laughs> and then when I got older and I read the story of a soul, uh, I, I think I've read it five or six times. And this last year I read it with Hallow, on the Hello app, but I've never read the foreword or the introduction. And in the introduction is a, is a part where it says from the, the, the author, I always hated that people referred to her as the little flower, like she was something delicate or fragile to behold, but she wasn't like that at all. If she was anything, mm -hmm. she was an oak. <laughs> she was an immovable force that once she yes. set her mind to something, it was impossible to change. Mm -hmm. And people like that are hard to live with. And now I know why my parents named me after her. <laughs> it's absolutely positively true. Once she set her mind on becoming a saint, there was nothing that was going to mm -hmm. change her mind. Yeah. All right. Sophia, too. So I'll be talking about St. Teresa of Calcutta. Um, she's from Albanian descent, and when she turned 18, she decided to become a nun and to be a part of the missionaries of the Sisters of Loreto in Ireland. And in December of 1928, she departed to India, where she taught the, in the school for girls in Calcutta. And one day, she was at a retreat, and she heard this little voice from God telling her to go serve the poor. So she stopped teaching and she went to uh, serve like the all the sick and dying in the streets of Calcutta and kind of like dedicated her life to um, serving those who were um, uh, suffering in that country. She uh, had this kind of medical mission and she recruited many more sisters to join this 
mission and she had about 4,000 sisters in about 123 countries. She yep. believed that every human being suffers and understands suffering and every human also understands kindness and compassion. It's important because she lived her life in such a way as to inspire kindness and few people do this. And for this reason, it's important for us to follow her kind of Christ-like example. Thank you. She was also one of the most powerful women in the world, even though she was tiny. <laughs> she was very small. She chose yes. her name after St. Therese of Lisieux, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. I actually got an opportunity to, uh, when I was younger, see her on television speaking to the United Nations, you know, mm-hmm. tiny little person. And you could hear a pin drop because everybody wanted to hear what she had to say. Even when she talked about the importance of life and those most uh, most vulnerable, the unborn, you know, even if they didn't agree with her, they listened. Which I, as a small little little kid, was like, wow. My mom did get the opportunity to meet her when she was down in. She went to a natural family planning conference in Acapulco, and my dad took care of all five of us kids during that time we ate a lot of pasta (laughs) and uh, I I was so excited when she got back I wanted to hear everything and she said you know she said I can imagine when people first met Jesus they just were like in awe and she was like that with Mother Teresa so you know one of my favorite things that Mother Teresa says is that each in our own lives we can find our own Calcutta because sometimes we think, oh, like, I don't know who to help. Everyone around me is so bountiful and there's so many blessings. But yet there is always someone right next to us that is suffering and that we can help, even if it's a different kind of suffering than that in Calcutta. You guys will have to fact check me on this one, but I believe it was um, Mother Teresa of Calcutta who, when she would meet these poor people in the streets of the sick or the dying, she'd look at them and say, um, my Jesus, what an interesting disguise you have on today. Yes, you would see yes. Jesus in the poor. That's such a gift, too, to be able to see Jesus in, in anyone. And I think it's so beautiful that even, like, a secular society still refers to as Mother Teresa and that her example of love and just charity to the poorest of the poor on the streets was something that everyone could recognize was something that was good and holy and that they even gave her the title as mother, which I think is really cool as a witness to so many people. I heard this story this um, that someone told me that, uh, I guess it was during one of the marches for life that St. Teresa went to and she was walking through like all the crowd of people and this mother was holding this baby and Mother Teresa like came up to her and like touched the baby and said like this baby has a hole in its heart so then the mom took the baby to the hospital the next day to like get it checked and there was actually like a tear in the baby's heart and if they didn't like there was if they didn't catch it then it could have killed the little baby so I think that's pretty cool that's amazing Another cool little fact about um, Mother Teresa is that in 1979, she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for her work to help the community. 
She's an amazing woman. We don't represent. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. I'm going to talk about one of my favorite saints, Saint Kateri Tikalitha. Surprise, surprise, because I'm named after her. <laughs> Though when I was born, she actually wasn't a saint, she was still a blessed. But Saint Kateri was she's the first Native American born saint. Uh, her mother was actually taken from her village. She was captured by a Mohawk tribe and then ended up marrying the chief of the Mohawk tribe and had uh, Kateri and also little brother. When Kateri was four, she contracted smallpox as well as her father and mother and brother, but only Kateri survived. And so she went to live with her uncle who became the Mohawk chief of the tribe and she was, Kateri was scarred from the smallpox. She couldn't stay outside for long because it would ruin her eyesight. And so she was constantly inside doing housework inside instead of housework outside. And when she was around 12, no, sorry, when she was around 19, the Jesuit priests came to her village and all the other uh, people in her village rejected this priest, but Kateri welcomed him in. And she sat and listened to this priest for as long as she could, just so in awe of what he had to say about Jesus and about the Catholic faith. And so she, she took a vow of chastity and she promised to marry Jesus. And she was baptized, the only native baptized in her village. And the people hated her for that. She would be called names. They would throw stones at her. And Kateri refused to work on Sundays. And there, therefore, she didn't get food on Sundays. So she essentially became a servant. She had to work for her food. And about a year, year later, the Jesuit priest came back and helped her escape to a village up north in Canada. And it was a, a Christian uh, village for natives. And there she went to mass, she received her first Holy Communion. And on April 17th of 1680, she passed away at age 24, which was also Good Friday. And all the scars she had from the smallpox as a child, they completely vanished from her face and everyone was just in awe of this happening. And so she, uh, I believe, I'm not actually quite sure. I think she's incorruptible. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. So don't, I think, don't I quote think me she, on that one. Is. And so on October 21st, 2012, I remember it cause it's two days before my birthday. She was canonized. And it was just kind of a big deal because I was, I was six or seven. I was about to turn maybe eight or seven at the time. And it was just like crazy because this, this person who I was named after, it was really big event in my life. And so that's one of my favorite saints. I think she's an amazing person that I've always looked up to when it comes to pursuing Jesus in my life. 
And she died when she was 24. She died when she was 24. How old was St. Therese of Lisieux when she died? Mm -hmm. 23? I thought she was... 25? Maybe she was older. I'm not sure. Oh, she was 24. Well, there's a lot of saints that seem to die so, the, the one that I want to talk about died when he was 24. <laughs> wow, 24 seems to be like a very, very holy age. Uh, Blessed Pure Giorgio Frassati died when he was 24. So, the first time I had ever heard his name was in 2008 when I was at World Youth Day in Sydney, Australia. And we were going through the cathedral with the rest of the pilgrims and there there were wooden coffins in there and what they had done is brought his remains and other saints remains there to world youth day. to world youth day and then they had the posters of them in their lives and you know you're there kneeling and praying and that was the first time i had ever encountered him of course, after that, because one, because he was Italian and I, I had to learn as much about him as possible. So I did, and I started reading books about him and realized that they had started this, you know, Pure Giorgio Frassati society where this group of people, lots of people from Italy, um, people who gave money to try and get him canonized. And so the canonization process for him started well, he became a blessed in 1990. So he's been a blessed for, what, 23 years now? 33, 33. years? 33 years? Oh, my goodness gracious. 33 years now? So the process does take a while unless mm -hmm. the people are shouting from the rooftops that it has to happen. Mother Teresa. Right. JP2. So, but he was born in 1901 uh, from a really prominent rich family and in Turin, Italy, and lived a really good life. Uh, his, Even though his parents were really wealthy, they didn't spoil their children by giving them a lot of money, but whatever he did get for an allowance, he gave immediately to the poor. He never used his own bus fare. He would run to home, run home to make meals, um, to get to meals. He was very well educated, but I think one of the things that's really sad is that his parents didn't know how awesome he was until after he died, that he would spend a holy hour every day in front of the Eucharist, that he prayed the rosary every day, and that he visited the poor and the sick every single day. How, how we can do that and still you know, be a college graduate and still have a full-time job and still make sure your parents are happy or at least know that you know, you're having a full life. He contracted polio from someone that he was most likely visiting who was sick. And after six days of serious suffering, died at the age of 24. A very holy age, apparently. <laughs> and he was he's in very good company with St. Trez and St. Kateri. So hopefully they're praying for his canonization too. But in, in 1981 was the first miracle when they exhumed his body, and it was found incorrupt. So from 1925, when he was buried, and then 1981, when he was exhumed in a pine box and found incorrupt, yeah, that's a miracle. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
So I think that's that's amazing. I know it's funny sometimes when I, I hear people say like they'll they'll walk by the the body of Saint Therese that's in a glass box or Saint um, Saint Bernadette and they'll go that's just just weird. I'm like that is not weird. You're witnessing a miracle right there. It looks like they're sleeping. That that's not weird. And I think when people say that. Can you define what incorruptible means for those? Oh, for those who don't mean uh, understand, it means that um, there's there's no decay of their body whatsoever. That their their skin looks like it's alive, and yeah, there's that's it's hard to get my head wrapped around right now thinking about it. But they did not embalm the way they do now. You know, they didn't cut them open and put all of that stuff in a bag and then stick it back in their belly and inject them with all this stuff. So they would just stick them in a pine box and bury them. You know, uh, So to be in a pine box for 56 years and not have worms and all that stuff eating you and your body decaying, that's, that is a huge miracle, you know, especially with today's science and stuff. So that's my idea of, I guess, what incorruptible is. Um, they did not bring his body in a glass box so that you could see that. You know, I mean, it's not necessary, I don't think, for everybody to see. But, yeah, I, I think people who are afraid of death when they see a saint that is in a place where they're, they're venerated, you know, and that it looks like they're sleeping, that's a beautiful thing. But... Or even like the relics. Oh, yeah. Bones and pieces of maybe a saint's clothing that a lot of churches have them if they're named after a saint, they'll have a piece of their bone. And it's it's really cool. And I remember after my first Steubenville conference, we went to, is it in Pittsburgh? Or where was that? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, oh chapel it has yes. like thousands of relics the and most um, the most amount of relics in northern in north america amazing wow. yeah just being in there and it's you get this feeling of like there's a holy people all around you and they have these it's like from the ceiling to the ground of just relics of all these different saints and they have booklets of relics of all these different saints they have schools of some saints and it's just so cool just to see that there's all these holy men and women and we can just feel their presence with seeing like their bones. It was really awesome. It was really cool. One of the things that with our group that went to Steubenville that year, uh, so we went to have pizza with sisters in Steubenville mm -hmm. and then Mother Wendy told us to go to the reliquary as opposed to the what was, what, water, park. water park that the, and then the boys were like no so we went to the reliquary and they were so funny you you could hear a pin drop these guys were like oh. it was incredible there were so many relics i mean thousands upon thousands of relics anyway i i remember two things very vividly uh that besides the fact that one of the docents happened to be there praying and he saw our group come in and we didn't have like an appointment to get a tour. And he was just like, Oh, we, I have to give you guys a tour. And he did. And so, um, Anthony, his, his patron saint, uh, was St. Michael the Archangel. 
and he wanted to know if there were relics of angels. And his mom was like, well, I'll ask in a minute. And then one of the girls wanted to know if there was a relic of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Ever, you know. Well, two miracles upon miracles happened that day because there was a rock, a piece of a rock, from where mm, yes. uh, St. Michael the Archangel appeared in the cave for where the rock he stood on. So that was like a second-class oh. relic that was there. And a thread from the mantle of the Blessed Virgin Mary was wow. there. And, I mean, everybody was just like, oh, you know. It was, and it was, I get chills just thinking about it right now. It was so amazing. I, no one complained about not going to the mall, <laughs> not going to the, the water park. We went, we went from there to the airport, you know, and everybody, everybody's on cloud nine after that. So if you are ever in, I think it is Pittsburgh, right? Like yeah, that's where Pittsburgh. the airport it was, was. It was Pittsburgh. Gorgeous. Oh, it was an amazing really reliquary. But, but it's yeah, beautiful. it was amazing. So don't miss that. I don't. I don't understand why that isn't like. Out and it's there. just in yeah. this random ordinary place it's not <laughs> it's not even a little gift shop across from it yeah, too it's right like, yeah that's great um another cool fact about Pier Giorgio Passati is that um he was like he was a really sporty dude he played a lot of games so he would challenge people in like a like a game like pool or um checkers or something and then he would if they lost it was like a bet they'd have to go to mass with him the next day. <laughs> so, well, That's how we can evangelize. <laughs> well, I think, like, I think about him, especially on days like today, which is the Feast of Transfiguration. Uh, wherever there's a mountain in in life, especially in the Bible, you you hear like Moses went up on the mountain, or Jesus took them up on a mountain, and a lot of things happen on a mountain. Abraham went up there. Um, to with Isaac. Every time someone wants to get closer and closer to God, they go up a mountain and that pure Giorgio reminds us that we have to have that Eucharistic life, that we need to go to the top, to reach the heights in order to get closer to hear the voice of God. And in Alaska, we're, especially in Anchorage where we live, are surrounded by these beautiful, majestic mountains that it completely reminds me of him all the time and that he loved hiking. And yeah, I could just see us doing that. We should probably do that with, you know, guys that you are dating and say, Hey, if I make it up to flat top before you, you have to go to mass with me, you know? So that means we have to start training now, ladies, you know, all right, Caroline is ready. Do you guys want to end with our iceberg question right now? Sure. Okay, so if we you could go back in time to when Jesus was alive and participate in either a miracle or a sermon or just any event that happened, what event would that be and why? Who wants to start? I can start. Oh. So, uh, uh, personally, I would like to go and listen to the Sermon on the Mount. I think that would be really cool and powerful. I don't have a particular event, but just, like, when he's traveling with his apostles and, like, disciples, like, 
we were like to different towns, like just like walking with Jesus and just like, I don't know if you've seen The Chosen, but just how he interacts with them, like he's just like your buddy. <laughs> I just yeah. like, really would have liked to experience that. Yeah. I love how he has a sense of humor. Exactly. Like he's not just like, because in the Bible, he is like, um, they describe him as like this super holy like being, but in reality, he's also human. So he's going to have those mm-hmm. similar traits. The Chosen does such a great job at showing that, yeah, the humanity yes. part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, going to the Holy Land last year, I really loved visiting the church in Bethlehem, the Church of the Nativity. So I think I would love to be at Jesus' birth and or the um, part of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, don't be worried if the birds of the air are fed by by the Heavenly Father, aren't you more valuable than they are? And I love that passage in Matthew's gospel it's so encouraging and knowing that if the father is able to help and provide for the birds of the air then he can provide for you oh this is really hard I there are two instances I could think of I would if it was a sermon I would have to say the sermon on the mount to hear the Beatitudes. I would love to hear the Beatitudes. Or seeing the miracle of Mary Magdalene. I think that would just, the way the Chosen showed it was just very powerful. And I would have loved to see that in person, even though it's definitely more of a personal miracle. Mm -hmm. I think it still would have been cool to see how Jesus affected her life. I have to go the opposite direction. I would be at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. It would be hard, but I I would I would really like I'd really like the opportunity to just to share it with the Blessed Mother. Because I feel like sometimes in my life I do already. Mm-hmm. So All right, who wants to end us in prayer? I think the new Sophia should. <laughs> okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dear God, thank you for um, bringing us all together today so that we can talk about all the heavenly saints and for inspiring us and uh, sharing all of these wonderful experiences and stories today. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. The Father, Amen. Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Verso Alto Podcast, as well as visit our website at versoaltopodcast.org. And you can send in questions or comments or prayer requests to versoaltopodcast at gmail.com. All right. Yeah.
Everybody say goodbye. Thank you for joining us. Bye. <laughs> Bye.